Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. You are now listening to episode 44, I believe it is, and I'm Bradley, joined once again by someone who does remember things better than I do and doesn't have to think about them on the fly. It's Stu. Who are you again? Ah, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I often just sort of flub and fluff until I remember stuff. Uh, say things like, "Oh, yeah, that's an interesting point," and other little fillers until my memory catches up. Yeah, no, I, I I've learned um, obviously over years the technique I've got is what to say at the right moment to just give you that moment to to catch up um, I've often done it in meetings where it's like a conference call and someone's been talking and I've been distracted by something else in the room and you just kind of like they stop talking they kind of look at you and go yeah no yeah no I agree <laughs> just as you go like what the hell was they saying and it's usually just enough for yeah. them to then carry on and yeah, you can pick up on it uh, little tip there you go we're not just, <laughs> we're not just entertaining we're educational as well Life hacks, man. You see? Yeah. Oh, no, don't. I hate I hate the word life hacks. <laughs> hacks. It's not... They're tips. Tips and tricks, mm. not hacks. A hack is something you do, like, to sort of, like, get a bit devious. You know, you, you hack a computer to, to get money from people and stuff like that. You don't hack using a carrier bag as a bin. That's a tip. <laughs> Ooh, I've never thought of that one. That's great. <laughs> carrier bag as bin got it right, right. I'm, I'm writing in to take a break that's my that's my 25 quid there excellent excellent uh, talking of tips and tricks and hacks and stuff like that what we've been playing Stu the first one's pretty interesting well it is to me I've been playing the PC Engine game Alien Crash the interesting part being I've been playing it on original hardware and mm. I'm not quite ready to disclose which hardware because it will be a bit of a thing when I do. Um, but anyway, the game itself. So it's a pinball game. It's from way back in 1988. It was one of the very first PC Engine games that came out. And it's really good because it's not over... You know, obviously, as you'd expect, it's not over-complicated. Uh, it's not particularly beautiful, although it's got a really good art style that mixes, if you imagine sort of a Japanese take on, you know, the Alien franchise where <clears throat> they said to their artists, you go ahead and embellish a little bit at the same <laughs> yeah. time, you know, and a bit of that, you know, manga-ish kind of thing creeps in. Um, might be overselling the quality of it a little bit, but it, it, it does look nice, especially for the day, you know, the time. Um, so, you know, considering that the, the Nintendo entertainment system was the big thing, at, at that moment it looks you know, several orders of magnitude better than that. And also as it, it plays really well, because getting the physics right in 2D pinball games isn't the easiest thing, but it does it really well. And it, not only are there, is it a couple of screens high, but it also has several bonus rooms that you can go into. So it's got a fair bit of meaty content, but it's just one of those that when you get into the rhythm, it's it's really enjoyable. And you, you kind of, you learn little tiny little things that, that set things off so that it opens particular parts of the board and and things like that, which is still, you know, something that isn't always done very well today. Although the most recent one I played is, is Demon's Tilt, which is on Game Pass if you want to try yes. it. 
and that's a cracker. Um, so yeah, I've been I've really been enjoying that for the the last few days. Yeah, it's um, I like pinball games on computers and consoles that try and do something other than just be pinball. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Pinball Arcade when that first came about, and I love Pinball FX. But you've got no restrictions um, on, a, on, a, on a video game, so yeah. go yeah. at it. And yeah, um, Demon's Tilt is really good. That does it really well. Um, as much as I also thought like Sonic Spinball and stuff like that did a decent job of being something different than just another pinball recreation. Yeah. Yes, it did. I enjoyed Sonic Spinball. And also, Demon's Tilt is a sort of spiritual successor to uh, Devil Crush, which was the actual successor to Alien Crush. Sorry, Devil Crush. It's very easy to get those two mixed up. Um, So yeah, it kind of went Alien Crush, Devil Crush, which also came out on the Mega Drive, and Demon's Tilt, sort of like 25 years or more later um, as a spiritual successor so if you've played Demon's Tilt or want to play it you'll get a feel of what Alien Crash is like yeah and he said that's so. on Game Pass you can get that on console and PC can't you so you can you can I don't and know also, if it's on cloud though I'm not sure actually uh, yes it is yes it is because I remember I, I played it briefly on my new GPD handheld um, but I had to give it up because unfortunately the tiny amount of lag you get or latency you get from playing online like that, streaming mm. is with pinball games it's just a no go you can't you can't accept even a, a third of a second being lost as you don't know No, I'd imagine yeah. playing pinball via streaming would be like playing Hugo by shouting at Philip Schofield. That's a reference for somebody older people, but not quite that old. I don't even know what that is, sorry. So, so do you remember Saturday Morning Kids TV? Um, and I want to yep. say Going Live uh, was the one um, that had Philip Schofield. They had this um, character called Hugo that was a video game. It was like a troll-type thing. And basically, uh, yeah. the, the child would ring up and um, they would use, they'd either shout what way they wanted it to go or they tried to do it where they'd press the buttons on the phone. And then, yeah. they, whatever the dial tone or whatever the tone was, the Hugo character, usually in a minecart or something, would move to the left or right of the screen and dark and jump and that to avoid all the obstacles. Basically, it was an endless runner. Um, and if they got far yeah. enough, they won prizes. But basically, that's what it was. But you'd hear the you'd hear the kids shouting left, 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 and then about thirty seconds later, like whoever was actually controlling it had moved the Hugo character to the left. Yeah, um, that's what I'd imagine it is playing stuff like really sort of like quick movement stuff, like um, sh- shoot 'em ups and pinball games. Is like doing that. Yes, yeah, it is. I remember that program yeah. now. Yeah, and I've just alienated segment. anyone born after the two thousands. Oh. Even earlier than that. If they were born from 1990 onwards, that's it. Forget them. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, like, Nightmare with a K, where they instructed people to do stuff. And you you realise how good games are at at taking your commands. So why is that not a VR game? Can someone explain to me why Nightmare has not been made into a VR game as yet? Yeah, it really needs to be one. Especially as you could have people in the room, like the... don't. Talk or nobody explodes. What is it called? Don't 
Stop talking or everyone dies. Or whatever it's called. The one yeah. where people sit around and there's one person in VR. You could do that with the, you know. But you wouldn't yeah, even need that. people in the same... Because obviously with, with that one, you need like the um, the printout of the instruction manual and stuff like that to sort of go... But with Nightmare, you could quite easily do that completely remote as well. So you have one person who's limited. They've got the VR headset on. They've got limited view. Everyone else sees a full screen at their PC, all hooked up via voice communications, and that's what they do. Um, yeah. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Someone, there we go. Someone, that's a, there you go. That's a, that's a, you'll earn a good five grand out of that. Yeah. Um, profit. <laughs> so, it's yeah. A good five grand's profit. Absolutely. So, for anyone who doesn't know, Nightmare was a game show in the, in the, in the 80s, in the mid 80s, where it was basically like a sort of Dungeons and Dragons style thing, but yeah. there was a team uh, kind of crossed with the Crystal Maze, which again, I would have to probably explain. But anyway, so you, it was basically somebody navigating through a dungeon wearing a helmet that, uh, that you, they couldn't see anything, so they relied on a team n- narrating in their ear where they had to go. Um, and they overlaid graphics on top of it. And it, it was a really clever idea, and I don't really know why it isn't still going. No, but, and um, it had acting yeah. in it that made Command and Conquer look like Shakespearean masterpieces as well, which was the best thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there was a, it was a good outlet for jobbing actors who had very little skill. Let's put it that way. But every child, I think every child who grew up in like the um, like the eighties and early nineties, everyone wanted to go on Nightmare. That was that was the yeah. dream. Yes, indeed. Yeah, With, and yeah I was proof. kind of obsessed. It was the Dark Souls of the day. You think Dark Souls is hard? Oh, you should have tried yeah. completing Nightmare. Oh my god, that's what we should do. We should rock up at ITV and, and pitch it as like a, a TV could, Dark Souls. They could even like re, if they wanted to rebrand it. Rebrand it as a as a yeah. from software game or even from software should go and make the VR version. There we go. Oh, Dark Souls world, bunch of kids unable to see and a creepy guy narrating them through it. Absolutely brilliant. There we go. We've 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 solved video games. We have we have that has got to <laughs> just just got to happen. <laughs> it's got to happen. But apart, yeah. So from, what have you been playing? Yeah, I was gonna say apart from going off that, have you been playing anything else, or do you want me to go with what my extensive list is? <laughs> well, I I've got one more, but you go through your list first. I'll go through some of it. It's not going to be long things because I've been going back and playing a few older titles. Cool. Not retro, but just stuff I, I've played previously on like the Vita and stuff like that, and I'm replaying on the Switch now. So a little bit of Bastion. Um, I don't know why that crept up, but I think um, I think oh, I know why that came up. I was watching a no clip documentary, and um, Danny O'Dwyer was mentioning sort of like the history of um, Supergiant Games, and um, I was like, oh yeah, I haven't played Bastion in a while, so I chucked that on the Switch and and played a bit of that. Then went, well, well, I suppose I better play a bit of Transistor now. Not played that for a while, so a little bit of Transistor as well. Both absolutely fantastic games and. When you go back to them after playing Hades, and to a lesser extent, Pyre as well, you start to see their signature in those games. Yeah. Uh, they're all very, very similar in the way they progress their stories and the way stories are told and the characterization within them. All incredibly different games. Um, you know, with Transistor, you've got like this turn-based mechanic um that's not turn-based, it's time-based, but also real-time, and it's still that kind of 
dungeon crawler hack and slash mixed in with it it's a weird amalgamation of ideas that come together well bastion is more like a a shoot 'em up mixed with binding of isaac or something like that i would say and then hades is pure hack and slash roguelike and all of them sort of like got this whole pie i won't even go into explaining that one at the moment it's just it's it's nba jam but not it's bizarre but they've all got this kind of overall storytelling mechanic that tells a wonderful story through the gameplay um, and just going back and playing those, I've played them with a greater appreciation now because of Hades. I mean, I, I've never hid my love for them. I loved them anyway. But going back to them after playing Hades, it's just like these guys have been nailing it time and time again. They're going to be one of those companies where you look back, if they produce a game that's average on their scale, it's still going to blow most other things out of the water. But yeah, absolutely wonderful stuff. And yeah. the other older game i've been playing is ollie ollie ah yeah no idea why it was two pound in the sale well that, that's why it was two pound in the switch summer set or summer sale um black friday sale whatever it is they done and it was the double pack ollie ollie and ollie ollie too it was like two pound 96 and i had two pound 60 something in credit so it cost me about 30p at home nice and yeah i still that's a really good game um it's one it's, it's a really weird game that it takes you a good hour i would say to get used to the mechanics again and remember how it all works and timings and stuff like that but it plays so well um, and i remember why i sort of like loved it originally when it came out how i haven't lobbed my switch and broken my switch yet don't know um but yeah it's <laughs> such an enjoyable game yeah, it is great fun. Like you say, it, it does have moments where you want to throw stuff out of the window, you know. But I, yeah, I think that um, idea of it's hitting up, is it, when you when you land? Uh, uh, pressing one on, again, I've got to remember because I thought it was on the directional um, buttons, but it's you just press B as you land. Right. To get mm-hmm. right. Yeah. It might have been that on the Vita, I don't know, but I thought it was something to do with the directional buttons. But on the Switch, you press B. That's right, but getting that timing is the important part, isn't it? And um, getting good at that and remembering it because it's counterintuitive. And uh, I, yeah. I like that idea. I, there's very few games that really force a, a new control method on you that's very different from what you've done before. It, it's the reason why I'm, I'm curious about that inertial drift that we review on. The, uh, I think we've got a review on the site. Yes, we have. For. Yeah, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about that one. So. Yeah, I like it when those sorts of things tried. And Ollie Ollie is, yeah, it's a great game. Yeah, I think most ever they hit a period where they sort of like, Ollie Ollie and Not A Hero were their pinnacle games. Um, I don't think they've hit those heights again yet. Um, Ollie Ollie 2 wasn't a letdown, but it just wasn't Ollie Ollie. It lacked something that that first, whether it was because it was new and fresh and something like that, I don't know, but it did lack something. Um, but yeah, Ollie Ollie and um, Not A Hero were, oh, they were sublime and still play well today. Yeah, I, I loved Not a Hero. It, uh, that was one of my favourite games of that year. Oh, it, was, it was a cracker. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, apart from that, I've also been playing a ton of Rise of the Tomb Raider. Now, mm. this is a this is a great example of, you know, when we talked, we've talked a few times and quite a long time ago about how we neither of us ever get 
like big games on release and even if we're tiny, tiny bit interested we'll get it years down the line when it costs practically nothing and that's exactly what I did so I got it for like 3 99 for everything like the full game plus all the DLC which is actually pretty important as we'll come to um, and I'm playing it on my my GPD and I deliberately picked the third person action game because they don't necessarily need like pin shot precision for you to play them mm-hmm. um, anyway uh, it has got some of the problems that the first reboot Tomb Raider had which you know it can be a bit too automated in places and there aren't very many tombs to raid sometimes but it's got enough in there because it's so stuffed full of content to make the you can make a meta game of it you can make a game out of the bits that you enjoy and just speed through the ones that you don't so the combat is just for me perfunctory but it's got two very different but very good uh play styles that I really, really like. One of them is you dropped into an area and you have certain tasks to do, and the area is massive. And figuring it, how, figuring out how to approach certain areas and to get through certain gaps and jump certain distances is really good. Yeah, good fun, really entertaining, good laugh. And the other is the the tombs themselves. Now, in the base game, there are not many of them, mm. but there's still more than the first. But with the DLC, there's lots more of them. So to get all the DLC along with it, it's made it into a much more substantial Tomb Raidy kind of experience. And the focus on you know shooting and fighting has, has really gone way down. And there's far less narrative dissonance as well uh, between that you know that oh I, I don't want to kill anyone and then murdering a whole platoon of soldiers kind of thing that you got in the first game and you're always getting uncharted so it makes a lot more sense which yeah. it's not it's not the be all and end all in games because they're all they've all got terrible stories but yeah. it, it's 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 slightly important you know oh, well, um, yeah I mean yeah. I, I I would argue the point to a degree it depends on the game. So, um, yeah, Yakuza like a dragon that totally shifts all over the shop, but it plays up to it. It's got serious moments, but it's quite clearly a tongue in cheek game at parts, and it, it works that it just gets away. But when you've got stuff like The Last of Us, Uncharted, maybe less so Uncharted actually, because it is an over the top indie style, like Indiana Jones style romp, um, with mass murder in it. So you do need to give up a little bit. But stuff like The Last of Us and uh, the Tomb Raider reboot, you kind of, like, that whole you want to protect Lara because, you know, she's close to being raped, it suggests. And then the first kill, she's like, oh, no, I've got to kill somebody, followed by just absolute, yeah, anyone that gets in my way, I'm mowing down. Is Yeah, they they do need to consider what they're doing. You can only suspend that, um, uh, suspend reality to a degree, if the game is focused in that way, and Tomb Raider definitely is not by the way they marketed and presented that game. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. On a kind of, again, to use the word meta, on a meta level as well, it's much better in Lara's representation, so she's got much more agency and autonomy. Um, She's clearly the hero, and she's not objectified in any way, and it it, her abilities are balanced so that you know it shows that she's very strong but she's not like a super a superhuman um and that feeds into the indiana jones things hasn't got any wit 
like the Indiana Jones series has. You know, no, obviously, <laughs> no. It's played. It's just played completely straight, which is a bit of a shame because you can't take this seriously. Sorry for the bad language. Um, you can't take it seriously, but it plays it straight anyway. But the best yeah. thing is, is when you get into a rhythm of uh, you know leaping and grabbing and climbing and. Uh, using the environment properly in a parkour kind of way and you although none of it has you know deep consequences like you don't have lives it's an instant restart pretty much uh, a bit like that reboot of Prince of Persia uh, if you remember that one um, yes. where I had a lot of wall running and but it was an instant restart it, it's a little bit like that so the joy is not in the challenge of not dying the joy is in the challenge of pushing yourself to, to do something smoothly and to, to look like you're an expert at doing it and the the thrill that you get from that. And so, yeah, it it's it's the sort of thing I would never have bought full price, but for only 10% of what it cost when it came out, it, pretty much a bargain. So, I mean, no, I'm going to touch on this when we move on to our next main subject because I want to talk about how something like Tomb Raider could well have been presented or packaged in a different way because when I played the modern ones, the reboots, I enjoyed the actual Tomb Raiding more than anything else within those games and I would happily have just had a number of non-connected, not even story-based tombs. You're Lara Croft, you want to go in and you want to find the relic at the end of the tomb and that that's pretty much what you get or it's like you know little mini stories all set within a tomb like a different tomb um and presented almost in a tomb of the week style type thing rather than what they actually came which they're not bad games that's not me insulting their games in any way but i would rather have seen something that's presented more like hitman the recent hitman stuff was done where it's we'll put, give you a we'll give you a well maybe not even a well we'll give you these handcrafted levels and this is what you need to do this week here are the puzzles that are, you've got to solve within it that that would I think would have fitted Tomb Raider much better yeah if they wanted to make the game that they made do it as a new IP do it as a new character that that that's the only thing I get and it's the same with um I think one of the more Later, Splinter Cells, they did it with a Ghost Recon, and you've seen it with um, Hitman Absolution. Um, all good games that they've made, but not in the series they have been put into. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. I think that they, they've made, a, as I say, a, fair, a far better fist of it in this. Mm. And I, I bet walking it, walking back from Tomb Raider Reboot, so that you were much closer to the original three games was a job of work without feeling like they're going to alienate people. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, there's literally... There's the people who wanted a new Tomb Raider game who were probably 10% of the audience, and then there's 90% who wanted a non-platform-specific Uncharted um, with better graphics and a more recognisable lead character. So 90% of the audience still have to be catered for, even if they are objectively wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, what, and they are objectively wrong. <laughs> if we're doing percentages, what percentages are those that turn around with the reboot and went, not my Lara, not my Lara, why have you desexualized her? I like looking at Lara's boobies. <laughs> Probably about 70%. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, no, that's a disappointing. But, I don't um, want to see boobies yeah. on the internet. I want to see lava's boobies. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh god. Yeah. But if uh, ju- and if she jumps in this way, she better get naked. <laughs> yeah. No, thank Christ. There's none of that anymore. I'm very. Well, but it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be like a cheat anyway. You'd have to buy it as DLC. Yes. They, yeah, it would be paywalled, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The swimsuit you, you, costumes and stuff, yeah. Naked Lara, only seven ninety nine, or or, or <laughs> you can get it if you pre-order from GameStop. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, on a serious note, uh, with the DLC, you get loads of costumes. Um, mm. And what they do is, A, none of them are sexualized. You're in Siberia and everything is like warm and toasty, which is great. So it's kind of, there's nothing that's dodgy at all. But also the the armor have di- <clears throat> different stat perks. Uh, sorry, armor. The clothing has different stat perks. Like you're you're better at hunting non-predatory animals. You're better at protecting yourself against predatory animals. That sort of thing, you know. So um, not only does it not go on the whole booby fest, but it also makes a virtue of a necessity. So that's good. Yeah, and it is it is really good to see. It's um like there's different ways of characters owning their their sexuality and the way they're presented. And like Bayonetta's completely fantastical, you know, her magical hair and stuff like that. And she uses her sexuality as a as a weapon really, really well. And it, you can see why she does it. And she there's an empowerment about how she does it. But if you used to dress Lara Croft in that sort of outfit in the middle of Siberia, then that is for one reason and one reason only. And that's pure titillation for the viewer. There's no empowerment there. So what I will say is fair play to Crystal Dynamics that they decided to not play up to a subset of their audience. The most vocal part of probably would be their audience that wants that pure titillation. There's no voyeurism involved. Lara is a survivor in there. And as I said, as much as I think it should have been presented as a new character rather than another Tomb Raider game, they've actually handled her as a woman and what her is it a job or a vocation or it's her genius if we remember back to the previous conversation we had um yeah true and um but yeah they've they've played that really well that you know she's not going to run around siberia in short shorts and a crop top because she'll die yeah so yeah fair play to them for that um but again just maybe as a new character let's be original Yes, true. Uh, I'll only cap it off by going back to something uh, about the tombs very briefly, and that's that I always, I was like, oh yeah, they're really good, these tombs, the way that they're constructed is very clever. I guess putting a load of them together would uh, would be too too big a job, so that's why they've down-focused on it. Mm. And then the sort of, the same year as Rise, I think it was the same year, was Breath of the Wild, where they've got like 40 or 50 shrines that do that exact thing. <laughs> so... Um, it's Breath of the very, Tomb Raider. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's very that you know. So it's doable, although yeah. they use a lot of superpowers in Breath of the Wild to yeah. add difference, whereas you can't do that in Tomb, Tomb Raider. Anyway, so a little diversion. But yeah, uh, there's the sale ends today. So by the time anyone's listening to this, you won't be able to buy it cheap anymore. But if, Until if you can see next it, week, probably when it will well, humble sale. Yeah, yeah. Humble sale, Steam winter sale, Christmas sale, New Year sale. You know, random week in February sale. It all, yeah, it'll be there. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it is. I'd say it's worth a go if you like third-person action games. Oh yeah, definitely. It's definitely. I mean, I got it. I can't remember if it was one of the ones I got as a, when I was still reviewing or whether I actually picked that up. But I. But it's definitely worth towards the actual forty pound mark as an entire as an entire thing. You know, there'd be no arguments paying for that. You know, taking away what I think about how that game should have been marketed or whether it should have been a new IP or anything like that. That's fine. It's definitely worth full price. Um, and I'm hinting at that because of what our discussion is going to be in a bit. Cool. The other thing I've been playing is still a, an older game, but a modern version of an older game. I've been playing some Dark Souls Remastered, a game I've tried four or five times to, to play and never got into. Don't I've, I've managed to do Bloodborne and Dark Souls 2 didn't really get on to Dark Souls 3, never got round to it. Um, but I've always wanted to really sort of like play Dark Souls, but it's either come a wrong time for me mentally or I've just not had the time because of other stuff. So I've, I've, I've got that going again. And yeah, I'll keep dying a lot. Um, I'm not very good. I've just got to remember getting to that routine of you can't just hack and slash away even on like the early parts of those games. Yeah. Um, but I'm, but yeah, it's it, it's on the Switch. I'm playing it, and it, yeah, it's it's a wonderful game, wonderful game, um, and it holds up really well on the Switch. Actually, and I don't know what else I can really say about it because everyone knows what Dark Souls is. And yeah, yeah, look, yeah, I mean, the, they're always interesting games to talk about. I find, I mean, whether you like them or not, they are fascinating because they kind of broke apart the established order of the way game, games are constructed. And it has made a massive change in what's released. It you can see it in the way that it's endlessly being copied in the indie world, but even like bled into AAA game development as well, and making those games themselves much more difficult. And you can see, like talking about Tomb Raider, like Tomb Raider is a basically like push forward to win kind of a game yeah. it's it's not intended to be a challenge to your skill it's intended to be an adventure where you have an experience whereas since then most AAA games are not they've gone back to being far more challenging and there's an appetite out there for for games that are punitive much as they were in the sort of that when when arcade game developers in the 80s started moving into the 90s and they realized that they had to make their games fuller and <clears throat> more sophisticated, but also very difficult to compare and compete with the Mega Drive and SNES. So yeah, it's been a massive, massive change, shift uh, like a, a sea change. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting to see these influences. I mean, you, you mentioned arcade games, and what was really interesting was seeing people who made arcade games all of a sudden almost at a loss when they realised they had to make a game that had more depth to it and would last beyond five minutes of the same yeah. gameplay loop because that that's how they did it. You, you stick your 50p in or whatever it was and the game was brutally difficult when it wanted you to put more money in. So it just had a gameplay loop which worked. And as soon as people got access to being able to play a game as and when they wanted for as long as they wanted, all of a sudden that difficulty became an issue. Um, and then when people got past it, because they could, rather than going, oh, I've only got £2 to play, so I can only play it four times at most, they had it in a console or on a PC, and they was able just to, to run through these games time and time and time and time again. 
And then when they got past that initial gameplay loop that they probably never really was able to in the arcade, you started to notice where games fell down and where they couldn't get beyond that initial five, ten minutes of absolute brilliance. Yeah. And because the pressure's off, and with arcade games, I think even when you got beyond that initial moment and it did start to fall down because you're going right i've got to keep this credit going and you know i can't lose this credit there's something about that rather than the game itself that kept me going and as soon as you took that away games fell down which is why i think we had this huge shift into sort of like bigger experiences um for better or worse and again it's i think it's only sort of like once a generation i think you see a game a single game come along and absolutely change what what the um, the actual sort of like the what, the landscape of the video game industry um, and Dark Souls will go down history as probably one of the most influential there was, um, but also one that's just managed to do it in the background. Um, yes, definitely. Yeah. You know, it produced. I mean, like the, I suppose you you have to go back. I think almost to. Uh, the Metroidvania, the Castlevania and the Metroid games and how they produced their own genres. That's what Dark Souls did because we've now got the Soulsborne. Yep. And Rogue as well. But I think Rogue is only now becoming a thing. The, you know, couple of decades after the fact, it really became a thing. And you got the Roguelike yep. and the Roguelites. Um, but Dark Souls, instantaneous, instantaneous. That went from, oh, yeah, this is a really hard game, to, right, everything's now Soulsborne. Yes, yeah. And it's very notable that one of the big criticisms uh, towards The Last of Us Part Two was that it felt, and I haven't played this, but this is what I've read from reviewers and, and just, you know, man-in-the-street type opinions, uh, is that a lot of it felt padded and overlong, and that mm. you know that there was a lot of just walking around and scavenging and seeing the same areas and similar areas over and over, which of course that's the the sort of mirror opposite of the Soulsborne style experience, where yeah. you know it's it's constant progression, it, it's quite linear, and it's constant challenge as well. Yeah, despite having this like what is always fascinating about Dark Souls and also especially Bloodborne is. It is constantly pushing you forward, but somehow interconnects everything. So it said, like if you're standing up on top of um, a particular like high walled section of a, a castle, and you look down to the right, and you can see some streets down below, you know eventually you will make your way to that. Yeah, and you know you can see everything. Not you can't see everything, obviously, because it's not vast and open. But you'll go past parts that look like scenery. And then you realise you're in that later and you're looking back on where you was a few hours ago. And that is a really great way of doing that connected world without it being a vast open space for no reason whatsoever. Um, and again, to hark back to it, something Yakuza does really well, makes an open world within such a small area, it feels more open than any other open world I've ever played. So, as Dark Souls does and Bloodborne does. They're more open world than anything Ubisoft have thrown out and fired out in the last few years. Yeah, which is why, uh, and to, to go off on a little bit of a tangent, I'm not a huge fan in general, although there are exceptions, of rogue-like experiences because they aren't as tightly designed. And you see, I don't really like the, the Soulsborne-type games, but I appreciate 
the majority of them a lot more than I do the majority of roguelikes because they have that tight design. They have a purpose to everything, like you say, <clears throat> that it's not stuff is not just scenery, it's not just furniture, it has a point and a use. And I think that when you can create things that are so beautiful and you have so much memory to play with where you can uh, you know, access all these sorts of areas that previously would could only be a backdrop, uh, it, it's really important to use them. And, and roguelikes often are just tiles, they're just cut-and-paste environments because they constantly change each time you play, which I, I, it works in the right thing, but it shouldn't be everything was roguelike. Do you know what I mean? No, I, I completely agree, and... I, what I often find happens with me with roguelikes is that I'll play them and at the time I'm like, oh yeah, I'm really enjoying this. And then I look back at most of them later on and just go, I, I, it was okay, actually. Uh, the initial experience is great, but then I look back and go, yeah, it was all right. With exceptions. So Binding of Isaac is a wonderful example of how a roguelike works perfectly, as is Spelunky. Um, but then I've played others where you go, yeah, do you know, it's an okay game, but yeah i that, that's all i can say about it um yeah. after that initial hit yeah it's fine whereas i will look back fondly on certain games and go yeah i absolutely love those um and the most recent one that i can go like i can go back and go, i love that as a roguelite is dead cells sorry mine went completely blank dead cells is the other one that captured that i think absolutely wonderfully yeah because even though that was roguelite, it still had that constant forward progression. And Hades does it really well, I suppose, is the is the other one. But I, I, Hades, I put as something completely different. That seems to be its own its own thing again. Um, yes, yeah. But that's got constant progression. And I think that's what, you know, the best ones do, apart from the originals, which is, you know, Spelunky where you, and um, Binding of Isaac, where you're learning as you go. And that's how you progress. Others just seem to do roguelike for the sake of, hey, look, you're dead and you start again. And yeah, yeah, okay, I've done this before with that game. And it's why something like Rogue Legacy, which was a fine game, it was a you know absolutely mechanically sound. The sequel came out, and I was just like, mm, yeah, I'm not fussed. I'm not going to run out and grab that. Yeah, yeah. No, there's an importance. I know this. We're running long on the chat, but I think it's a good a good topic, really. Um, the there needs to be a, la a layer of sophistication, and the longer that you go on in a game, the the more sophisticated you have to be yeah. in making sure that you retain people's interest. So, if you think about like uh, like Symphony of the Night, for an example, okay, so your your base way of interacting with the, the game didn't change massively apart from a couple of milestones like getting the bat and getting the wolf and getting the mist and things like that um but the when you did get those incremental progressions you also got things like playing vertically so moving up towers rather than moving across and moving through water you know the environmental changes would come in a staggered manner as well and they would fit in with the mechanics and to make sure that those things all interlap uh, you know interlocked uh, and overlapped properly required a lot of skill whereas if you build everything to work within the first five minutes then you have to have just great content later in the game so it has to be visually spectacular it has to be you know really you so i'm thinking about things like strider going back a long time ago mm. so there's very little you have later in the game that is any different from what you begin with but 
the the way that you interact with the environment and the types of enemies there are uh, constantly change and keep you thrilled so that that core loop can be good and more recently Halo so yeah that's just a long winded way of saying that <laughs> there needs to be <laughs> I'm always doing this I just go off on one for hours and hours don't I yeah I, um, I never do that and it just no. gets infuriated <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so Okay, yeah, so I, the, the long and the short of it is, if you're going to go long, you've got to have the sophistication to go along with it. Yeah. And even though I don't like Soulsborne games, I think they do that brilliantly. The best ones oh. do, anyway. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think that that's the crux of it. You, I'm not saying, sort of like, as you say, as you're saying, you haven't got to enjoy every game or every genre. But I think you need to appreciate what they bring and then what they bring to other genres as long as they don't take over. Um, you know, I don't want to play the next FIFA or whatever and it have elements of Soulsborne in it because that's the in thing. Just stick to what you know and produce your games. And I'd almost like to see us come back away from mixing as many genres as we can to just like this, this, let, let, let's separate them out a little bit. Um, because I think we've joked in the past where um, I can't remember what card game it was, but it was a roguelike, Soulsborn card collecting type uh, game, and it's just like just throwing everything into the mix and seeing what they can come out with, and yeah, it can get a bit too much sometimes. And that's from someone who loves to experiment with all these different games, and will give them all a go um that it's getting a bit much now but hey it's once they know once they do it you get that point of oversaturation is where someone will then go right gotta do something new yep i agree so moving on you would have heard me put a couple little hints in as to bit of a snide comments towards the AAA video game market. So if you're a massive fan of AAA games and you don't want to hear me go off on one, this could be your jumping off point. If you are interested in the, the rants that might be about to happen, then stick around. So, new consoles are out. Um, you've not picked any up yet, have you, Stu? No. No. And I picked up a Series S due to, to costs. And basically because my son wanted wanted it and yeah, it was his birthday. But anyway, um, one of the things that's happened with this new generation is the price hike of individual video games. Um, they've gone from 45 to £50 pounds for a AAA game to 60 to 70 for the base game now, which is seeing your ultimate editions or what are they called collector's editions and that or whatever they are not even like the ultimate ultimate you get everything editions but they're going up to sort of like 90 to 100 pounds base level and, and stuff like that and the prices have increased and what what you're getting is a lot of apologists for this in terms of well the games are having to get bigger and better the graphics are having to get shinier and more development type needs to go into it and it needs this and it needs that and game prices haven't risen for this many years and so it does need to go up um and people are apologizing and making excuses for it which is frustrating to a degree um where especially when you see remasters of older games get that price point as well 
um, or even games that have little content in just because they're a big AAA name and getting that price point as well. And then having the DL, not even DLC, but having season passes so they can piecemeal the content. And I'll, I'll come back to that point in a bit because there is a scenario I think that works, but I'll come back to that. And then sort of like making sure that by the time you've actually got the complete game, you're paying 150 upwards probably in the end to get that complete game until they then bring out a final game of the year edition or complete edition for that 70 quid again years later and you can see that it's nothing to do with development cost rise it's all to do with bottom line it's to do with profit and maximizing that profit and they've been sowing this seed for years of our oh, games are expensive to make games are expensive to make while still providing profits and revenue that are record-breaking year on year and then but giving you less game for what you're actually paying but the thing that gets me is they keep saying we as consumers um are the ones who are demanding these games and it got me to thinking is are we are we demanding these games that are ultra shiny and have absolutely hyper-realistic graphics? If I was to ask you, Stu, what are the... Let's say the... Let's go for three biggest games in the past decade. What would you come up with? Oh, um, I'd probably say FIFA, uh, Call of Duty, one of them, <laughs> and maybe Breath of the Wild. Okay, so if I was to say to you, actually, the three biggest games were Minecraft, Fortnite, and more recently Fall Guys, what do all those have in common that the likes of your Cyberpunks, your Tomb Raiders, all that don't? Yeah, so they don't have anywhere near the, the marketing budget or the development team. Well, Fortnite probably does now, but they're not tri- no, they were not AAA releases. They were indie nor the starters. Graphics. Nor the graphics. Yeah, yeah. They're all yeah. basic graphics. Um, yeah. really nice looking games and art style art style always wins we know this art style always wins over sort of like hyper realism because I remember when yes. um, the Playstation 1 was hyper realistic you know and you look back at that now and it's not so art style always wins yet they still claim that this is what we're demanding we want um, you know they, the next Nathan Drake we want to see every single pore within his skin and see how it reacts properly and that takes time to develop and that a big thing was made over, I think, was it Joel removing his T-shirt and there was no clipping and his hair moved around the T-shirt fabric perfectly as as he took it off and it reacted. And, oh, my God, great. It is, it is it, look, that's what, nice tech demo, but it didn't add anything to the game as such that they've, they've gone to that level of detail. It's nice, but it doesn't do anything. And if that's what, and if that is what's costing these games to go up, then stop. Just to go, do we really need that box in the corner to react in that particular way that no one's going to notice? And for me, still, the only reason they are they are doing this is so they can convince people that they need to charge more for games because 
They've also had the engines they use have become more accessible. They are able to do things that used to have to be handcrafted. Those things can be handled by AI and sort of like just overall, look, I want this to do this and I want it here. And it get, it gets put there. Um, they have these libraries for, for such a thing. So it's even though things are starting to look more impressive, they have these libraries that they can adjust. And so instead of taking three weeks to make a crate, that crate can be placed and updated to fit visually within a couple of days. So it takes less time. Um, but we are getting less game. We're getting prettier looking games, but we're getting less game. Yet people are out there defending. Now, the reason sort of I've gone about with that is Christmas is coming up for most of us. 99% of us in the Western world in the worst time of our lives um you know i'm not gonna belittle people who have been in war-torn countries and go hey this now pandemic is the worst thing that's ever happened to them because christ i can't even imagine but for most of us in the in the western world and first world countries this is the worst thing we've had to go through uh, we're entering depressions we are hitting one of our second or third depression that we, we've had in terms of finances. People are losing jobs left, right and centre. Um, so the price of games going up is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous um, because we can't afford them as there is, especially with a new generation just starting. How many parents are going to end up buying uh, their kid a PlayStation or an Xbox? And that's all they can afford. And then having to find another 70 quid for a game to go with it. It's not It's not on at the moment. If they want to put the prices up because they feel they've got to put the prices up. Look at what your profit margins are at the moment. Score a PR win. Look at your profit margins. Go, can we eat into those for a bit? Let's keep the prices as they are. Maybe even drop them slightly. Break, maybe not, not break even. Make less of a profit. Make, you know... Make $10 million profit instead of, you know, $25 million profit for the year on that particular game. Drop those prices, allow people to buy the game, score a PR win. And then when everything's maybe settled and there's more money going around again, then if you really, really must put those prices up, then do it. But you're causing people to have this fear of missing out. Um, and along with that, you're getting this whole idea of, well, if you can't afford it, you shouldn't game. Now, I don't know about you, Stu. Does that argument seem like bollocks to you, that if you can't afford to game, you shouldn't be gaming? Well, of course, yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and, because you can't have yeah. fun if you're poor. It's, no. But it, it's frustrating because, again, for me, my son's pointing out a couple of games he wants and I can't afford them this Christmas. Um, yeah. You know, he's cut two games. That's like, We're looking at 120, 130 quid. That's, yeah. that's not it's small so change. Much money. No, it's, it's a ton of money. Yeah. And there's even less excuse for it these days. Because, uh, you know, I was thinking when you, you're talking about the, the mechanics of it all and prof, the, the profit margins, like back in the day, when everything came on cartridges, you obviously had a manufacturing chain uh, where you had to have these things made as bespoke items. You know, that each one of them was technology in itself. So it contained chips, it contained ROM chips, and uh, it you know it was a piece of technology in itself that was custom made and then you know the, there was the distribution chain and there were the retailers and everyone took a cut and the games were therefore much more expensive 
than you know well they're now coming to parity really with what they're charging today because 30 quid back in the early 90s is like 60 or 70 quid today but nowadays you know at least 50 percent of games are sold digitally now which costs them almost nothing you know it's it's pennies on the dollar kind of thing uh, for them to, to host the content yes. that gets downloaded and there's no technology involved, there's no retailer other than their own storefront. So the amount that's pure profit to them has gone up by a huge factor. And even producing DVDs uh, or Blu-rays costs pence because that's a, a standard, an ancient standard now. Yeah. You know, you're talking 20 years for DVDs and 10 for Blu-rays or more. And, you know, by the standards of the day, that's that's old technology, and therefore it's mass market, and therefore it's incredibly cheap to produce. So yeah, they're making them. They have fewer obstacles to making money than they ever have, and yet they're still raising the prices. And I think that's an important perspective to have on it. Definitely, yeah, and they're, they're still underpaying the people who actually work on the games. Yes, um, it's. I mean, Activision is supposed to the one you really need to go to. You look at Bobby Kotick and the amount of money he's personally bringing in, uh, or he's personally getting, sorry, um, year on year, would fund the development teams for every single Call of Duty game or anything else Activision Blizzard produce for the year. And he would still be fine. And they're underpaid. Um, Their wages generally, because if you look at most... If we look at America, most games in America, the general wage hasn't gone up with inflation as the as inflation has. Um, so they're not earning any more. So it's not as if they can go, well, do you know what? We're paying, we was paying our developers this amount per hour. We're now paying them this amount per hour. And that's got to be funded somewhere. So we're charging you more. That would almost be fair enough. But they're not. They're, they're, char- they're basically paying them around about the same. Less if you're going to go with the whole um, a £60 game, or sorry, a £50 game would be nigh on 60 quid now with inflation anyway, then we'll do that with the wages as well because we're earning less now if you're going to use the whole inflation argument based on yeah. what it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, so there's less disposable income. And by doing this, you've got the people who are making these games are cattle essentially now. Yeah. Um, so it's not that's not what's causing the prices to go up. One thing that has grown over the past 20 years with video games is marketing. If a game, you know, if 25% of the budget goes into actually making the game, you're looking at 75% pretty much on marketing. That's a ridiculous amount. But also how much of that is actually going directly into the marketing and how much of that, when it comes to these major corporations, is being done for some kind of tax write-off. Yeah. Cut some of that marketing bullshit out that we don't need that's mostly lies anyway when they do it and you'll save a fortune keep the proper games as they are price wise but and here's the thing that gets me with this you've got people who can't afford these games making excuses still for these corporations as to why it needs to be done and backing it and and things like that yet back in i want to say 2012 2013 when indie games started going from charging £8 to 10 12 15 quid for a game, the backlash to that was shocking. 
it was a disgrace that these individual developers wanted to charge more for their games because it wasn't an 80-hour epic. And they were scum, blah, 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 you know, all kinds of abuse. And God forbid it was a, a woman who made one of these games because, again, obviously the extra abuse because the heinous crime of being a woman. And, yeah, the backlash there was ridiculous. But people go to bat and defend these huge corporations like they're their best mates. And I, I've never got my head around it. I've never got my head around as to why that happens. Um, and I've, I've, I'm not going to lie, I've done it. I've been caught up in it. I think when I first played Overwatch and the whole loot box thing came out, and I was like, yeah, but it's just cosmetic. And I realise now how wrong that was to actually make that statement and to defend them like that because of what it became. And it's not how things individually affect just you. It's how things affect everybody and how it affects the game world. And it's because people made excuses for loot boxes, which were just cosmetic, just optional, that they then started introducing them in other ways. And then we got to the tipping point, which was Battlefront's essential loot box, pay-to-win gambling and, and things like that. And that was netting companies huge amounts of money, yet the prices are still having to, prices are still having to go up. And it's... The mental gymnastics that go along with it just absolutely messes with my head. Well, exactly. I think partly it might be to do with, you know, it is to do with manipulation. So obviously yeah. the, the loot box problem is that it encourages gambling and gambling encourages a, a link to a particular place. So because you... Let's go back a little into... We'll, we'll go into psychology a tiny bit. So... Human beings, th- th- well, not thrive, but they they get by on intermittent reinforcement. So if somebody's constantly unhappy, obviously they do bad. They, they don't succeed in life. But if they're constantly, quote-unquote, happy or just stimulated in one particular way, they get bored of it. So that's why you'll buy something that you've wanted all your life and then half an hour later you're bored of it. Mm. Intermittent reinforcement is what keeps the endorphins coming back. So winning in you know, gambling and winning and then gambling and losing three times before you win again, that is incredibly addictive because it's what your brain craves. Uh, it's the sort of thing that drives you to be a better, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, be a better hunter in that you would, you would miss five of your arrow shots at a hare and <laughs> the fifth one you'd get them and, you know, that would encourage you to keep trying even though you were failing a lot of the time. So it, it plays on that very basic primal bit of your brain. And I, I think that none of us really saw, I'm not sure even if the developers themselves saw how, uh, saw that gambling element early on. Uh, I, you know, I think it may have, they may have just understood that it was, that people liked getting stuff and then that they could, oh, you know, charge a bit of money for it. And then later on realised that it was something much more fundamental than that and they could make billions from it. Yeah. But then once you make that understanding, the important thing is not to exploit it, it's to minimise it and to make sure that the only intermittent reinforcement you get is through the game that you've already paid for. So yeah, no, it, 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 it's an awful thing because it's it's playing on the gambling side of yeah. your, your brain. Yeah. Yeah, and with, with FIFA, do you know what? I, I I will stand by this. I've got no issue with EA producing Ultimate Team. Um, if they want to produce Ultimate Team, 
and it's a you buy the packs and stuff like that first of all one aim it at adults um that should not be played by children make it an adult only game two make sure it's got all the warnings that would come with any kind of gambling you know the even if they have to stick on it when the fun stops sorry when the fun stops stop because we need to emphasize it's fun yeah on there um i hate that campaign for what it is um anyway yes, that, that, i'm gonna go completely off a tangent if i go on about gambling adverts and the <laughs> bollocks they have to do but anyway um but don't do ultimate team as something that you get as part of a paid for 60 pound game year in year out make fifa year in year out if you wish and that's the base game that's your your general 1v1 your online normal play your offline leagues and all stuff like that make ultimate team its own thing free to play and people can buy their their card packs don't bundle it in with the game that's aimed, you know, as a free plus. You can make FIFA a game that's a Peggy 3 plus and then Ultimate Team an 18 plus because you will still get people playing it if they really want to. And again, it scores them a PR win. They can still manipulate that to a degree, but it's a little bit less heinous and a little bit less predatory on children than it was previously. Yeah. See, we're going to see people flying into further and further debt to try and maintain a level of lifestyle for kids so that their lives aren't completely shit at the moment. Yeah. And the corporations are taking advantage of that and it's gutting to see. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a very big thing, a very difference between getting the money together to buy a PlayStation 5 and, you know, scrimping and saving and doing that, which, you know, my parents did for me when I was a kid. Not a PlayStation 5, they weren't time travels. But, you know, they, <laughs> they would, yeah. Wait, they was would your put... mum that, that old woman that had the, um, the telephone in the Charlie Chaplin film? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know they would. That's one thing, isn't it? If if they scrimp and save and they buy you the thing, but it's another if through the entire year, if that child wants to have another game, then they have to fork out a fifth of the price of the console for it. You know, it's it's just yeah. insane. It's about a value proposition, isn't it? It's about making sure that there's a there's a floor. Uh, that's attainable and a ceiling that you can reach if you want yeah. you know because uh, the games at the moment are like the popcorn model at the cinema it's like y- you can pay £5 for a small popcorn or £5.50 for a gigantic one it's like well once I'm in on the small one I might as well buy the gigantic yes. one sort of thing yeah, yeah. and uh, you mentioned sort of like scrupulous saving to buy a console in years gone by I remember I got um, when I got a Playstation um, and before that, even like a NES and stuff like that, you would get maybe one game bundled with it, almost as standard. Imagine that bundling a game as standard. Um, well, it has happened, but well, it hasn't happened for a long time. But it happened, it's yeah. happened this time. I mean, to be, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, they, they bundle rare. in tech demos nowadays. <laughs> I, I don't um, know. Is Astrobot uh, a tech demo? I don't know. It is technically it's a tech okay. demo. It's, okay. it's better than any other game apparently that's on the system but it is technically a tech demo um, fair enough and that's not to insult it because for everything i've heard it's absolutely glorious um but it used to be that you got your maybe one or two games a year if you was lucky and you'd play that and your mate would get a couple of games a year and they'd probably be different to what you had 
So to experience these other games, you'd go round to their house or they'll come round to your house or you'll swap them and, and stuff like that. Not me, I didn't have any friends. Um, but uh, just in general. <laughs> just in general. Um, so there'd be that going ahead. Plus, you wasn't connected to the wider world. So you didn't know. You might be happily playing like Super Mario All-Stars, four games in one. Yeah, four games it was in that. Um, yeah. And... You know, or and then someone else in the other part of the world might be playing um, Secret of Mana or something like that. You wouldn't have a clue what they were playing. They didn't know. But you might not even be aware that Secret of Mana was a game um, unless you was picking up the magazines and things like that. And But now, so, so your one or two games a year might do you on the whole. But now you pick up, let's um, use for example, Cyberpunk is coming out. Everyone's aware of that coming out. Um, and if you don't get it, you feel like you're missing out because everyone's talking about it and you're hearing everyone talking about it. And, you know, it used to be sort of like, oh, my God, I've been playing Mario Kart. It's really good. You should try it. Oh, can I borrow that when you're done with it? Yeah, of course you can borrow that. You can't do that really now with, with your Cyberpunk. Yeah. Um, you know, FIFA as well. It's like, oh, you know, I'll get FIFA 21 next August. Well... So you can't even go, oh, I've heard about this good game. I'll get it down the line. Uh, now, that's not to say you can't still do that with certain games like you did with Tomb Raider. Um, like I was able to do with my third or fourth dip into Ollie Ollie. It is possible. It's all about being there in the moment. And the marketing is all designed to be, hey, if you miss out now, you're really going to miss out. So you better pay your 70 quid minimum right now. Otherwise, what's the yeah. point? Yeah, yes. And so they cannibalise themselves, don't they, by, you know, making it like blockbuster films. So, you know, blockbusters have to make their majority of money in the first weekend. You know, the first, mm. like, the first, since the Friday opening till the Monday, they have to make pretty much, you know, 50% of their money. Otherwise, they're considered to have been a failure. And it's the same with you know, the, the the window slightly longer, but it's the same with AAA games in that they're because the same even the same developer or the same studio, the same publisher, will be having a similar game coming out within a, another window, another launch window. You know, uh, they they themselves want to stop their own sales. They they want to say, oh no no, the the time for that has moved on. Yeah. So the marketing push then is like you said, it, it's all focused on do it now or you don't do it at all. Yeah, I'm not against, because I might sound completely anti-capitalist or, or, or anything like I am not against EA, Activision, Ubisoft, etc. making money. What I'm against is their bullshitness and treating their staff like absolute crap to make more money than they absolutely need to make. To pay three or four people at the top more money than they will ever get to spend, than their families and grandchildren and beyond that ever get to spend. Just share it about a bit. Because at the moment, the people who are making these games can't afford to buy these games. Just that, that, that's broken. That, that is broken. Yeah. That's ridiculous. But yeah, and it's it's one of those things. It's just like it hit me, and it's it's been really depressing. And it all, you know, I'm not blaming my son, but he's, he was pointing out a couple of games he wanted, and I was like, mate, I can't. You're gonna have to wait until later in the year when they go down on sale. And it's like, oh yeah, okay, Dad, I get it. And it's like, mate, you've got Game Pass, so you're fine. Um, you'll still get to play loads of games. It's like, yeah, okay. Um, and yeah, 
I know he's not the only one that's been disappointed because of this. You know, I can bleat and go, it's got to change. It's not going to change. They will continue to be complete and utter charlatans and essentially mug us off for all the money they can while we're struggling for having a bit of fun in our miserable existences at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah, I just, I like, it's it's very easy to live in the margins and be patient when you're an adult. Uh, being, you know, especially the older and older you get like me. Yeah. But when you're a kid, it's a completely different thing. The, the, yes. the pace at which children grow and their psychology changes and moves on, you know, uh, four guys would be in vogue one week and then the next week you'd be ridiculed for playing it, you know, and not playing uh, something like Fortnite and then Fortnite would be considered too childish and you're supposed to be playing Call of Duty. Uh, you know, you can't, you know, that shouldn't happen, but it does. So, yeah, yeah. To, to exploit that is, is really unethical. Yeah, and to be honest, that's always happened. I mean, with anything, you know, when you're suddenly you're watching a TV programme and someone at school's gone, oh, that's a bit babyish. And you're like, oh, crap, I really enjoy that, but no one else is watching it. And if they find out I'm watching it, I'm going to be ridiculed. And so that is that is part, but to exploit that, yeah, you're right, is 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 just wrong on so many so many levels. Yeah. Um, but we're seeing how much you say kids grow, how fast they're growing. It's like my four year old daughter, she is very aware of what coronavirus is, um, which is a really weird thing for me to get my head around. She shouldn't have a care in the world, but she's very sort of adamant on, I've got to wash my hands all the time. I've got to go and wash my hands because of coronavirus. And it's like, do you know what coronavirus actually is? No, but I've got to wash my hands. And it's like, yeah, Jesus, kids shouldn't be aware of stuff like that. They should be able to just go and escape and have fun and do that. But hey, EA and Activision have priced them out of that market. So there you go. Yep, there you go. Um, priced out of fun. That's, that's a great way to end it. Yeah. So unless you've got anything else to add, I'll I'll pass over to you to do the to do the ending bits. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know that what we said then was dark, but it needs saying, you know, because yeah. some some things don't have a happy ending, and you can't just tie an easy bow on them. Uh, I suppose the only thing to say is that you know generally kids tend to appreciate what you do for them, even if. Yeah, and they know the context. They know that you can't afford certain things. So um, I think, you know, as long as they're happy and looked after in general, they'll they'll cope and they'll be okay. Um, well, it, won't, it won't damage them <laughs> too much. Uh, you hope. <laughs> yeah, you hope. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know in 20 years that when, if I'm visiting any of them in prison. <laughs> well, five years. I'm only giving Edith two. They're going to have to build some sort of special supermax for her just on her own, I think. Oh, yeah, to be fair, she's, she's going to murder somebody. She's a yeah, really weird, very loving child, but there's there's something behind those eyes. <laughs> I wasn't going to go as far as murder, but I, think, I was thinking, like, some diabolical scheme of, you know, bank bank robbery or fraud, not necessarily taking someone's life. But <laughs> she's, yeah, she's lovely, but, yeah, she's, she's a terror. Uh, <laughs> we love her, though. Um... <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll leave it there. Uh, leave it a... there on, on Brad's daughter as a murderer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from your own lips. <laughs> oh, I'll have to play this back to her in a few years' time. She's but... a nightmare. Just, just to go back full circle. <laughs> oh God bless her. But anyway, so right, so I have a special request this week. So generally, you know, we do the regular sign off, but obviously, we've been doing this for nearly a year and we love doing it but the the one thing that's missing 
from the experience is you, the audience. So we appreciate our listeners, we love them, and we want more of them, obviously, and we don't do this for profit, we do it for fun, and also hopefully to reach people. The only thing is that we don't get a lot of feedback. Now, I think a lot of the time when podcasters ask for feedback, people think, oh, they don't mean me, or oh, they only mean positive feedback. Well, no, neither of those things are true. We want to hear from all of you, or as many of you as want to actually say something. And it doesn't have to be positive. In fact, you know, proper critical feedback of where we're going wrong is just as valuable, if not more so. So what would be fantastic, if you could, would be to feedback to us and tell us what you think. Do we go on too long or too short? Do we focus too much on the game subject or the mental health or both or neither? You know, what about the mix of jokiness to technology, uh, talking about news in the gaming world? Anything you want, just how we approach things or what we approach, would love to hear from you. I think what would probably be best as well is, is sometimes getting in touch can, can feel daunting. So, Brad, would it be okay for them to use your mental health gaming email address to contact us? Of course, yes. Great. So that's bradley at mentalhealthgaming.com. So you can email that. Please try and you know keep down the level of uh, aggression if, you, if you're feeling aggressive towards us. You know, just I'm have a delicate a think little flower. <laughs> Yeah, he can't take it, honest. He's useless. Um, But no, feel free to say whatever you want constructively about it. And it would genuinely, genuinely help us going into the new year to construct the podcast that you want to make sure that we're on the right track and that you're hearing what you want to hear. So that's enough for me bleating on about that. So as usual, if you could share, like, subscribe, whatever, on all of the normal social media formats. We're very active on Twitter. We have the Discord where you can chat about anything you want, including mental health, but not limited to it. We also have a Patreon that you can subscribe to. You can do a one-off payment in coffee, but we know things are difficult at the moment. Never commit any money to anything unless you genuinely can afford it honestly and we'll never paywall off any of the important content that we do only peripheral stuff so other than that christmas is coming the goose is getting fat get prepared but enjoy yourself as much as possible i've been Stu. been joined by brad in the meantime till next time take care